from holidays uh, with my husband, Eamon. We went to visit my mom and my stepdad and my grandparents in my hometown, Gladstone, central Queensland. Yes, yes. It was very good. <laughs> um, Eamon and I, while we were there, we had planned to make a trip to Tenham Sands to get his favourite acai. I apologise profusely that I introduced you to that because Gladstone is six hours away, so don't get much of it. Uh, but Tenham Sands, yeah, it's about 20 minutes away from where my parents live. It's a place I've been to pretty much a thousand times because there's nothing really else to do, but also because it's very beautiful, very beautiful. But I have news, guys. I could not think of how to get to Tanham Sands. And there was another thought throughout the weekend as I was following my parents to their church because I didn't know how to get there. And in fact, when we were taking these roads, I thought to myself, ah, I forgot that that was here. I actually had to use Google Maps twice, which isn't that bad. It's not that bad, but this is my hometown. It should be etched on the back of my hand. I don't know whether to be sad thinking, oh my goodness, 18 years of my life thrown down the drain, all to be forgotten. Or happy that the reason that I have maybe forgotten these roads is that because I've had to remember lots of new roads moving here to Brisbane and that officially I'm a Brizzy local. Woo! Yes! Yeah, the Brizzy locals. Yet, in saying that, there's lots of things that people here who are also Brizzy locals that have done that I've never done and probably will never do, and one of them, I'll never get the chance, crying, is going to Sizzler. Yep, never been, never been. That toast, cheesy toast, yep, is that what it is? No idea, don't know, don't care. Um, sorry, <laughs> saying it how it is. <laughs> um, I have no idea about that toast or whatever it is. And I would say that even if there was a sort of checklist to be a Brizzy local, to be a citizen of Brizzy, would most of the people here be on that list? Would they have made it? Would I be included? I mean, surely I am. Surely I am. Here, here are my reasons why. I'm in the census as living here. Gone to Eat Street. Yep. I've driven on the inner city bypass. I've been cut off in traffic. Yep. I've been to South Bank. I've been cut off in traffic. I've started drinking coffee. I've been to the Yekka, never will be again. And again, I've been cut off in traffic. No one here uses indicators. That is okay, that is okay. But because Brisbane is ever-changing, if this checklist was made when Sizzler was alive, rest in peace, Sizzler, I, <laughs> I would not be accepted. I would be alienated from a place which I called home. Where would my residency stand? Would it stand in Gladstone, yet I live in Fitzgibbon? This general idea of meeting such requirements to be accepted as a local or be accepted in general is sort of what Paul is trying to address here in our passage today. And last week, Dave Ang, he spoke about the grace of God in our lives and how that grace, this saving us, is a gift. And it's not by works or anything anyone has done to earn this gift, but it's just freely given to us by God. And I would really encourage those of you who are unable to uh, hear Dave's sermon to go back onto our YouTube channel and watch it firstly, because it's awesome. And secondly, because our passage today begins with the therefore. So you've got to know what it's therefore. We're all learning things. We're all learning things. Amazing. Done my job. But in summary, because of everything 
I spoke about before, the grace of God in our lives is so powerful. It takes us from the death in our sins to the life and freedom in his mercy and grace. And because of those things, we need to remember a couple of things. As Paul continues in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to chapter 3, verse uh, 13. So if you'd like to get your Bibles or to be up on the screen for you as well. Let us read. Actually, I'd love to pray before I read. Um, Quick one. (laughs) Dear God, thank you so much for your word. I pray that we, yeah, learn more about you and about the unity and grace that is found in you. Amen. All right, let's read. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promised in Christ Jesus. I become a servant of this gospel, of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, to make plain to everyone the administration of his mercy, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished to Christ Jesus our Lord, In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with the freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Amen. There is a lot in this passage that we have got to unpack today. And so what we're going to do is we're sort of going to break it up a little bit. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 11. We see here 
that Paul is addressing his letter to the Gentiles, reminding them of who they once were. They were formerly called the uncircumcised, and they were called that by those who call themselves the circumcision, a.k.a. the Jews. This labelling is to highlight painful division that once existed between Jews and Gentiles. This division was not merely a cultural or just a social separation, but it was also a spiritual one. Up until the death and resurrection of Jesus, Gentiles were living apart from God, his covenant and his covenant promises. They were cut off from the family of God. And this is for a really practical reason. The commands of the Sinai covenant given to God's chosen people, Israel, they formed a boundary line around this family and they kept most non-Jewish people away. And it might seem that God himself, that he contributed to this process of division by choosing Israel out of all the nations to be his holy or distinct people. But this is not true. We need to remember that in calling Abraham, God promised through his prosperity to bless all the earth's families and that in choosing Israel, he intended them to become a light to the nations. But tragedy struck as Israel forgot their vocation and twisted this privilege of being chosen and having the grace of God into favoritism, dividing what was always meant to be united under God. The Gentiles, they faced a lot. All humans, they were being alienated from God because of their sin, as spoken about last week from Dave. But the Gentiles faced another form of alienation. They were alienated from the people of God. And I recognize that there might be people in this room who in their own family unit, there isn't unity and they haven't experienced this in their lives now. And I pay tribute to those people here in this room. But I have good news for you because we can rejoice. Paul, he doesn't stop there for the Gentile believers. He continues on in verse 13 to 22 saying this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near, brought near by the blood of Christ. The chapter goes on to continue how Christ has done this. Let's keep reading. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and he has destroyed the barrier, uh, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death the hostility. He came and he preached to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. Through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. In Jesus, the laws of the Torah have been filled. And the barrier that was once there around this family, it's been removed. These two ethnic groups have become, as Paul puts it in verse 15, a new unified humanity that can live together in peace. So what does this mean for us? Well, firstly, we can all rejoice that by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ that has been freely given to all, that all can be saved and can be in the family of God. 
Recently, I've been uh, reading the book Matilda, uh, which is written by Roald Dahl, a bit, of a bit of a classic and a good before bedtime story. And if anyone hasn't watched or, you know, read the thousands of uh, remakes and musicals, I'm going to be pretty rough and say it's time for you to come out of that rock you've been living under. Um, Matilda is a fantastic story about a little girl named Matilda, who would have guessed, who is very different from any other member in her family. In fact, she actually has magical powers. But not only that, um, she's actually a smart, kind uh, little girl and loves reading and loves school. But her family, they do not like Matilda. Her father, in fact, actually continually throughout the book berates Matilda with mean names and all these other sorts of things. He rips up her library books at one point. He's just so awful to her. Matilda, she ends up going to school where an even more awful principal, Miss Trunchbull, resides, causing havoc amongst the students. She actually ends up grabbing these students and throwing them around by their pigtails, by their hair, or picking them up by their ears. Parents, I would not suggest reading this book if your child's about to go into school, okay? Do not do this. Matilda ends up meeting Miss Honey, a beautiful, kind teacher whose family is actually like Matilda's, as her auntie is actually Miss Trunchbull. Both Matilda and Miss Honey, they have not had a good upbringing. They have been hurt by those who were meant to love them. But again, the story doesn't end there, as eventually Miss Honey adopts Matilda as her own, and this, this beautiful depiction at the end of the book with Miss Honey holding Matilda in her arms as her family drives away. Through the pain of the past and through the pain of the present as well, a family was made. The family of Miss Honey and Matilda. And through the pain of Christ on the cross, a family has been made and united under God. And that's this family here. Though we all come from different houses, different backgrounds, different hurt, Christ unites us. This does not mean that we are all the same and that we have to have the same positions or we have to do the same thing. But in those things that do divide us, they have been put to death. I think about how the Jews might have felt hearing God reconciling those they might have considered unlovable and untouchable. And we see this in the gospel account which Jewish leaders having issue with the grace and love of Christ to whom they deemed unworthy. This is really a question about God's grace. If God is God and God is all-powerful, why would his grace have limits? His grace abounds to all and to those who we think don't deserve it. And it's not for us to judge who that grace is given to. And you might be thinking to yourself, I would never want anyone else to go without grace. Of course I want that. But I am talking about the times where you or I have said that I wish that I had a lightning bolt, bolt moment like that person had with God. I wish I was raised in a Christian family or I wish I was raised in that Christian family or I wish I wasn't. I wish I had a radical story or I wish I didn't. I wish I could be as good at, as this person is at this particular thing or I wish they knew how much I have done for this person. When we do things like this, when we compare and have pride, we are putting members of our family into two boxes, me and them. Usually, it is me and their grace that they have received, or it is me and all the grace that I'm giving them. How wonderful am I? 
As believers and followers of Christ, we believe that our identity is no longer in these things, but in Christ, who makes us unified, and these boxes have been defeated. Comparison and pride leads to division. We must remember, as Paul has reminded us both at the start of chapter 2 and here, that we have all been separated from God, and that is because of our sin. We have all been disunited with him. But now, under Christ, we have been unified. That's you and that's me. Paul continues in his letter. Let's keep reading in chapter 3, saying this. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promised in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of his mercy, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose and he, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. At this time that this letter was written, Paul was suffering imprisonment. He states that he is a prisoner of Christ. Not literally, Jesus isn't walking up and cuffing him in chains because he had risen to heaven at this point in time. But Paul believed that his imprisonment was under the lordship of Jesus, that Jesus had placed him there for a specific reason. That's what that means. Paul continues to state why he's there. It's for the sake of the Gentiles. Paul, he was a teacher and a preacher to the Gentiles. So his sufferings that he experienced during his ministry, they were made on their behalf. Paul, he isn't blaming the Gentiles, but he's actually rejoicing that the mystery of Christ is being made known to them. This mystery, as verse 6 states, is that through the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promises of Christ. That's pretty good, right? Paul continues on to explain his position as a servant of God, And that because of God's grace to him, he preaches the boundless riches of Christ to the Gentiles. He goes on to say that God's intent now, through the church, God's wisdom, according to his eternal purpose, he has accomplished in Jesus, is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Paul, he's asserting here that what is happening in the church is so magnificent and so glorious that even these bright, angelic beings who have spent their entire existence in the presence of God, even they are staggered and amazed by what they're seeing through the church, this unity. Paul finishes in verse 12 and 13 saying that in what Christ has done, both living the life we should have lived, 
and paying the debt of death for our sins that we should have paid, we can have confidence that we have access to the Father and to not be discouraged for his sufferings as they are bringing glory to the Gentiles, glory in the form of the grace of God. When we receive grace, we become stewards of grace, responsible for showing others how it works. Like all God's gifts, it's directed out to other people. Grace engages us, grace calls us, grace pushes us, develops us, and gives us ministry. Ministry is the gift of God's power at work in us. We cannot read this passage without being struck by the absolute emphasis of unity in the church. What this text underscores is that unity is not a non-essential or some afterthought or some byproduct of faith, but is at the very heart of Christianity. The revelation that came in Christ was a revelation about unity. If we do not proclaim unity, we have not proclaimed the gospel. If we do not live in unity, we have missed the gospel's impact. Church groups, we may form around various interests or styles. There's different things that we are all interested in. We have even lots of different ministries here in this church. But underneath all these groups is a genuine understanding of the unity drawn from a common commitment to Christ. That is what unites us. This unity that we have is based on Christ. When we think about unity, I'm one of those people that, you know, think about everyone holding hands and singing Kumbaya and no one having any quarrels. I don't even know the song Kumbaya, but I'll sing it. Um, But I hope that it's been made clear to you that unity, it's an essential focus on Jesus, on his grace in our lives, in an individual level and in a corporate level. This joy of Christ is what unites us. The great object of this letter is to explain and expound God's grand purpose, both then and now during this present age. Paul says that this great purpose of God, it's already being put into operation, that the church is an illustration of this wonderful thing, that in the Ephesians, together with the Gentiles and Jews, the church has been unified. I stated before that when we compare and when we have pride, we are putting members of our family into two boxes, me and them. And usually it's me and their grace or me and my grace giving to them. But we must remember so many things. That once we were separated, all of us, we were separated from God. But because of Christ, we have been united with God. And because of Christ, we have been united with others. And then what we must do with this is remember. Paul saw the unity under Christ and preached to those he saw, that others saw, excuse me, undeserving. He remembered his state of being a servant and rejoiced in sufferings that others might know the gospel. So we must receive grace on the daily. Thank God for all he's done and all that we spoke about before. We must live in grace, live in this truth. Look in the mirror, tell those intrusive thoughts that God deems you worthy. And that is the same for others as well. We might preach grace. Now, you can do it how Paul did it in a letter or in person. But my suggestion for all of this 
is in Matthew 16, 24 to 26. It says to take up your cross, take up your comparison, your pride, and to follow Jesus as he is the one who unites us and is our ultimate example of grace and our ultimate example of unity. I'm going to invite the team up. It feels like a battle cry, this taking up your cross. And that's because to take up your cross and to lay down your life, it is a battle. It is a battle. But I have news for you. The battle has been won by Christ who took up the cross for us. Let us continue to look to Jesus as our ultimate example of grace and our ultimate example of unity. Not comparing, not having pride, but laying our life down for our family. It's no longer me and them, but us in Christ who unites us. I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. Lord, thank you so much for who you are and what you have done on the cross. Whether we have come from far away or whether we have come from um, near to you, Lord. Thank you that you bring all under you. No one is too far from you, God. Thank you so much for the unity that is found in Christ. I pray, Lord, that there might be divisions that people are experiencing. And I pray in your name, Jesus, and I thank you that they have been broken and put to death. Lord, I ask you that all of us continue to focus on you, looking to the cross as our ultimate example of unity and of grace, living that within our lives and giving that to others. Lord, I pray all these things in your wonderful and mighty name. Amen.